With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, it's Michael Waltrip. Welcome to Waltrip Unfiltered. It's my podcast. I appreciate you listening. Please tell your friends they can listen by adding us via their favorite podcast app. Plus, we'll have videos on Fox Sports' YouTube channel you can check out. I've been doing this for 20-some weeks, and I think I'm getting the hang of it. I'm getting ready to have a fun time. I know that. My buddy Steve Latart is coming to join us in the studio. Steve was an awesome crew chief back in the day. <laughs> that's funny to say, back in the day, 2005 to 2015, but that's all right. He uh, was a crew chief for Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jeff Gordon won races. I can't wait for him to share stories about what it was like working with those two NASCAR legends. Today's show is going to be a lot of fun. Steve's a great storyteller, and I can't wait to dig in to some of his tales. Join us, have fun, and I can't wait for you to hear the content. At the tender age of 13, my guest today, Steve Latart, left his home up in the Northeast and headed to North Carolina to pursue a dream to be a NASCAR Monster Energy Cup Series crew chief. How, how are you so bold to think that this was all going to work out no more than you knew in life? Yeah, well, I was lucky enough. My dad had built race cars in New England. Um, he kind of got recruited to come down and work at the chassis shop at Hendrick Motorsports, and by just dumb luck, I was Ray Abraham's neighbor. So I'd hang out across the fence, and Ray one day said, hey, you could come sweep floors, and and I really never stopped from there. It kind of just kept going, but it was a great break. I laughed because I remember when my parents told me we were moving to North Carolina, and I think the exact quote was, "You're ruining my life." I'm, you know, I'm 13 years yes, old. I this have my so li- many things going on here. <laughs> Don't you realize I have built a life here in Maine at 13 years old? That's that's incredible. And and moving uh, north, you said. We're talking earlier. You said that the day you were driving down, Jeff Gordon was racing at the Brickyard. I'll never forget. My dad and I packed up. Um, I think it was a blue station wagon, and he drove down, and we listened to Jeff Gordon win the Brickyard, the inaugural Brickyard on the radio. So it's quite a day. And what when you think about that, and then what eventually happened? We'll we'll talk about all that. How how crazy is it to you that like you had a dream and it it worked out? I, I you know I'm not even sure I was courageous enough to have this dream. At 13. I, I mean, I remember all along the way, I just dreamt of having the next job. Whatever, Like when Ray said I could sweep the floors, that I was like, yeah, it doesn't get any better than this. This is spectacular. And, man, that was 25 years ago, 26 years ago, and it's just continued to keep getting better, surprisingly. Well, you know, interestingly enough, um, I, I was the opposite. From the time I was old enough to remember thinking anything, I wanted to be just like my big brother. Right. I wanted to race a car. And when you're 13, I got my first chance when I was 12 in a go-kart, and I was actually good at it. But when you're a kid, you're thinking, you know, I was thinking, well, this, is, this is what I want to do. This is all I want to do. Well, what if I'm not any good at it? Yeah, right, right, that, right. That, right. So how, how I think of Steve Letarte as this guy on the pit box because you've been up there for 15, year, you know, 15 yeah. years ago. That's, I don't think of you – I can see you sweeping the floor. Oh, yeah. But I don't think of you as packing a wheel bearing. Is, is, was yeah. any of that part of your plan? Yeah, no, so that's funny, right? Because I, I, 
so I started sweeping floors in 95, and I was announced as Jeff's crew chief in 2005. So there wasn't a lot of years of packing wheel bearings, right? It was a pretty quick, I went uh, floor sweeper to tire guy, tire guy to a brief stint as a mechanic, and then right to car chief, and kind of moved up from there. And, and you know, when I look back at all the positions that Mr. Hendrick and Ray and Jeff gave me, I think, what the hell were they thinking? Because I'm not sure <laughs> I was ready for any of them. I was going to ask, who, was, who, was, who had this faith in you? So, you know, the the... I was blessed to be there and for the Ray Everham years to learn from Ray. And then I've told Ray this. The greatest thing that ever happened to me is Ray left. Because if Ray didn't leave, nobody could move up, right? We were all kind of stacked in there behind him, whether it was uh, Patrick Donahue, Brian Weitzel. You know, there's a whole group of us there. All the Chad, guys we've heard of. Yeah, Knauss was there. You know, we were all there. So there was nowhere to go. Uh, and when Ray left to go do the Dodge deal, that was the first time the door kind of cracked open, that we could all have other opportunities and – then Robbie came on board, and, and Robbie was really uh, why Ray is the famous crew chief everybody remembers with the three championships. Robbie won a championship, and Robbie was a great mentor because he let me do more and more and more. If I proved I could do something without completely screwing it up, he would give me the next thing to do. And that's Robbie Loomis. And Yeah, Robbie Loomis. I'll never forget, so towards the end of my years as car chief, and I think Robbie probably knew before me that I was going to be a crew chief. We were at Pocono, and I was on top of the pit box, a track I love now, and strategy that I think I understand now. And halfway through the race, Yellow came out, and he kind of looked at me, and he'd never asked me this before. He goes, man, you think we should pit? And I was like, ooh, man, I don't know. And he made the call. And we were driving out of the track that week in the rental car, and he looked at me. He goes, hey, just for the record, you got to have a damn opinion. Like, you got to pay attention. you got to understand. And that was the first time somebody, I think the light bulb went off, that goes, man, I might have to do this someday. So, like, more than just – how do you make a fast race car? Should you pit? When you should pit? All of those decisions. It's been a whirlwind for sure. When when you got that opportunity, and it was 2005, yep. uh, what what was the first call that you screwed up? Or what was the first call so, that you made right? Or what is your first memory of, damn, I'm a crew chief now? So, so I'm going to go back because the real story is a year earlier, Brian Weitzel was tabbed by Rick Hendrick to go over to Hendrick Motorsports Forever with two buildings, two race teams. And he said, hey, we got this young kid. He's going to drive next door, Kyle Busch. He's going to come drive uh, in the, the building. Brian Weitzel, you're going to be the team manager. So Brian called me up, and he said, hey, I want you to come be the crew chief for Kyle Busch. And I said, yeah, done, deal. So this tells you how. Was that the, the Busch series? So the, he, this is when he was going to go cup racing. Uh, I was going to go cup racing with the five car, Kyle Busch. But that's not how it worked out. That's not how it worked out. And, and this tells you how big companies work. So I had a contract, and it was done. I was going to go be Kyle Busch's crew chief. And that's when Gordon found out and called me and goes, well, you know, come talk. I-, I was thinking you would be my crew chief at some point. So I was like, oh, man, what do I do? What's this decision? So I went and talked with Jeff, and I said, yep, whenever Robbie's done, I'll be your guy. Make Change your plans. So then the unfortunate part of the story is Robbie's mom got sick, so Robbie said, hey, you know what? I'm done. I'm tagging out. We missed the playoffs in 05. So Robbie actually suggested it. He came to see me. He goes, listen, I'm getting ready to call Rick. We know what's happening in 10 weeks anyway. Let's just do it. It's not going to hurt my feelings. It's what's best for the team. You know, he said, I know this is the right thing. So I went into work on Monday, setting the car up, went back into work on Tuesday, and I was the crew chief. Didn't have an office, didn't have a computer. It was, this is the desktop days, right? And um, I'll never forget, we load up to go to New Hampshire. They, I have to walk out behind the truck. You've done a thousand of these at press conferences behind the truck. I was a 25 or 6-year-old kid. I think there was 10,000. I think it was like a... 10 reporters, but it looked like 10,000 reporters out there. <laughs> I went out there. I talked to them. I'll never forget. 
that we ran New Hampshire that day with four 400-pound springs, one in every corner of the race car. Had a car that should have run in the top three. We started mid-pack. I blinked. We ran 14th. The race was over. I have no idea what happened. Yeah. I don't remember a single call of well, that for that day. But it had to be pretty cool considering when you were on this journey to the to the south with your dad in that blue station wagon, you're listening to Jeff Gordon, yeah. and now you're his crew chief. It, it I, I couldn't even imagine. I tell everyone the best advice when I when that day when I, they named me the crew chief, Jeff called me up in his office, uh, and he said, "Hey man, you know this is gonna be great." Well, he said, "Just one thing I need you to do. You just gotta treat me like everybody else on the team." And it's the best advice I never took, right? I just couldn't, right? He was my mentor. He gave me my start, and I guarantee if you flip my career, Jeff and I win so many more races just because he is so he was way better a driver than I ever could have been a crew chief at that point in my career but it was um we had a blast we had some great years had some bumpy years but had some great years and you said you um you missed the playoffs in 2005 when you but you ran 10 races so so you i made have, the final 10 you did the whole playoffs thing yep. and you won a race yeah won martinsville i won my first ever career race as a crew chief at martinsville my last ever career race as a crew chief at martinsville jeff and i went up there it was a year after the plane crash uh it was an emotional weekend and I remember, I think I backed into the win. Tony Stewart was great in the old Home Depot 20 car. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Martinsville will be like a rash of yellows. About like the third yellow, I was like, you know what? The hell with it. We're just going to stay out. And we stayed out and got track position. And I'll never forget, we were riding around there. We are like getting close to running out of gas, leading this race. And I'm like, hey, man, we got a pit in, in 25. Hey, you know, we got a pit in 20, like, you know, I didn't say this, but I was trying to be like, so if you could spin somebody out, that would be good. Like, we're leading this race. Next lap car you get, could you hook them? You know? Yeah. And I think somebody had a flat tire, and the caution got lucky, and we stayed out. And we, yeah, we won the race. That's great. awesome. That trip to North Carolina certainly paid off, and, and you've had a great career as a crew chief. Um, I, I'm interested in your, your time with Jeff for sure because the success you had in 2007, you won six times. And is that when you really said, okay, I'm – I got this. 2007 was the best year and the worst year I'd ever had crew chiefing. Um, you had to build two different kinds of cars. First year of the COT. Um, that's the year, man, we won a lot of races. Uh, that's the year we got beat at Martinsville by Jimmy, the famous highlight of those beating and banging with our own setup. Um, that stung. But the worst part of the year, so the best part was the success. We had like a 500-point lead when the when the playoffs reset. And... Um, Got into the playoff, one Talladega, one Charlotte. We're five weeks into a 10-week playoff with like an 85-point lead. Man, we're sitting in high cotton. This was going to be great. And then this kid, I think you've heard of him, uh, Jimmy Johnson from California, wins four of the next five races. And I'll never forget the walk from the pit box in Phoenix. We ran ninth or 10th, and Jimmy won. So Jimmy's doing burnouts, and I'm walking from – uh, pit road to the old Phoenix garage area all the way back down in there and thinking to myself that was the lowest point of my professional career that we I mean we could probably still win a championship but there was no more gas in the tank we had been beaten by luckily for us turns out to be probably one of the best ever well, yeah that's no the doubt. only highlight to the story because it wasn't just anyone that outran us that day well you've all, you also had the privilege of of crew chiefing um after Jeff who's one of the best ever, right? Uh, one of my favorite ever, and arguably one of the best ever as well, Dale Jr. What what was the transition like, and yeah. and was it something that you signed up for? You're like, you know how popular he is, and <laughs> you know what kind of expectations there's going to be. So I remember 
you know, the end of 2010, Chad and I would have those conversations because we shared, basically, our offices touched each other. We shared the shop, and we were like, man, I wonder what they're going to do with that 88 because he's just not very good. We know Rick isn't going to have this. And I, We went to the competition meeting the Tuesday after Miami, and I go in there, and you know how this is. It's the end of the year. My, my care of being in this competition meeting is about zero. <laughs> so I'm sitting in there, and I'm staring out the window thinking, can we get this over with? I'm ready to go, ready to go, ready to go. And Rick slides in the meeting, which is a little odd. But, hey, you know, whatever. Meeting's over, and I beeline to the door, and Rick gives me one of those famous, hey, Steve, I just need to see you for a minute. So I took a deep breath, and I started walking down the length of this conference room thinking to myself, I wonder who's hiring. Because I just went winless with Jeff Gordon. In 2010, I mean, I would fire the crew chief. That's kind of the next thing you do. Instead, I went in, sat down. He kind of gave me the spiel. He said, hey, I need you, I need you to go do this. I need you to be Dale's crew chief. I was all on board, and the next day I rode up to his house. I had met him before because he'd driven at Hendrick Motorsports, but we weren't friends or anything. I didn't even have his number. Rick had to give me his number. And, um, man, we just started talking, and, and kind of that was the start of the relationship. And the relationship is a strong one, and it's 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 grown. Um, and you, you, you turned that team around. You went to victory lane with them and won races. So that had to be rewarding for you as, as the crew chief considering, you know, the, the – the, the performance hadn't been where they hoped it would be at that point. Yeah, it sounds silly, but in 2012 when we won that race at Michigan was was one of the best days I've had on top of the pit box and also the day I realized that I wasn't going to crew chief for long. Um, you've done it. We've all done it. You know, Racing gives us the highest of peaks but the lowest of valleys. And we won that day after a year and a half together. Some near misses the year before. We ran out of gas at the 600. Off Coming the off corner. four. Oh, yeah, the last corner. So here's the story of the 600. I knew we were going to run out of gas, like the math said we were going to run out. But I'm like, well, just stay out for the green-white checker. And we took the white, and I'm like, we're going to run out of gas. And, you know, we took about like 12 car lengths. We roll into one. I'm like, I don't know why I'm getting excited. I'm going to run out of gas. Comes off turn two, and I'm like, well, maybe we miscalculated. Maybe that thing, I only need like three-quarters of a mile now. And it's still fired as it goes down into turn three. And I'm like, damn it, we were wrong. We're going to win this race. Should have never thought all that. Yeah. Because about 100 feet later, it ran out of gas crushed isn't that crew oh, isn't that nascar isn't that racing me. yeah just... crushed me so uh, martinsville we almost won that year so we had some near misses and then we went to michigan the next year um and we sucked all oh, we we were great and then goodyear had to change a tire and then we sucked on that set of tires we started the race we lost every spot there was we were the last car in the lead lap with like a lap eight yellow come in and put a white foam spring rubber in the left rear and that thing must have been gold plated with like pixie dust <laughs> because it drove he was gone it was gone like yeah. we were gone for the rest of the day and i remember how great that my family was there his family was there um and and i remember how great that feeling was but then it kind of sunk in that this was should be the best ever and i didn't know if it filled my bucket up enough all those weeks of not winning takes a scoop of energy out of your bucket so when you win, man, you need to fill it back up. And that one was the one that didn't quite fill it all the way up. And it, it took probably a year after that, but I but that's the day I think I realized that maybe I wasn't gonna do this forever. Wow. That's that's an emotional that's a that's a confusing time. <laughs> oh, yeah. When a win doesn't do it for you, it's, yeah, you gotta better figure out something else. Yeah. I wanna introduce you to a couple of my buddies. I've oh, got boy. Ford over here who's yeah. running the show on the production side. Yeah. And CJ, our Fox Sports social media guru. If Be it's terrible, going, CJ, because I've learned to never trust a social media guru. No, nah, well, I don't trust the social media. So, <laughs> a couple of the questions uh, that we got from Reddit, I've already sort of talked about, yep. um, and it includes 
what was a pressure like working for Jeff Gordon at the age of 26. And yeah. <laughs> the pressure was crazy, yeah, I'm pressure. sure. So David Poole wrote an article that said I was going to be the next Pete Rondo because he only made it a few weeks with Dale Jr. and yes. he was replaced. So David yes. Poole, who's since uh, deceased, he was a longtime writer, and people thought. And I left that. Actually, the, every day I worked at Hendrick Motorsports, that article was tacked on my b- little bulletin board behind my desk. That was my motivation was to prove someone who I respected wrong. I was going to prove him wrong. I love that. And and you did. Yeah, you did. yeah, I did for a while, for sure. What do you got, CJ? Where do you want to come from? Twitter, Reddit, Ask Mikey. How about you empty your bucket here today? Oh, yeah, always. Well, this, this show keeps my bucket full around here. Oh, so. there you go. Uh, first off, to everyone listening, every week you can use hashtag AskMikey to submit questions for the show. We always post on Reddit. You can reply there. And the first question that I thought was a good one it is from Soda Cookies. You gotta love the usernames Soda on Reddit. Cookies, interesting. What's the funniest thing a driver has ever said to you over the radio? Oh boy. Well, I've had a few. I thought, all right. So I think the funniest that struck me as the funniest was it has to be Dale Jr. Uh, we're at Martinsville. We're pretty good. This is before we won there, but we're pretty good at Martinsville. And my man enjoys a five-hour energy from time to time. Okay. So he to each his own. Raised. Teach his own. Teach his own, but that's the story. So my man goes out at Martinsville, and he hits, in the first 100 laps, everything. Ah. He wrecks Joey Logano. He wrecked Brad Keselowski. He went over the curb and got Joey Logano a second time. Wrecked the poor guy twice in the first 100 laps. Finally, the third time we're on pit road, cutting fenders off this thing, in only Dale Jr. mannerisms can you say this, he goes, man, put in the notes that you can't use any more maximum five-hour energies because I don't think i got enough fenders to go 500 laps. <laughs> and, I, and I, like – I don't know. It lightened the moment because I keep the mind. I was like, oh, you think? Yeah. Like, at which point in these four wrecks did you think that perhaps we weren't going to make 500 laps? I could have strangled him that day. That might have been the funniest thing. I, I still wanted to kill him at the moment, but that might be the funniest thing he ever told me. I got to tell you my a, a quick Dale Jr. story of mine, which I shared one on his podcast, which I will never forget it the rest of my life. Um, it's probably 2000. I think he was a rookie. And I'm over, Dale, Dale called me, and he said, you want to ride up to Martinsville on the helicopter? I said, yeah, sure. So the helicopter left Statesville, landed in Cheryl's Ford, picked me up. We flew over to Dale's house, and I'm sitting there. It's 8 o'clock. Dale comes out, gets on the plane at about 8.05 in a hoodie with a hat yeah, on right. and a big old coat. Dale Jr. gets in the back of the helicopter next to me, and I look over at him, and I and he looked back at me and went, and that was it. He just fell asleep, sat there. We flew the, the hour, half, 40 minutes, whatever it was, up to Martinsville, land. He gets out of the helicopter, didn't say one word to him, never spoke to him, just a nod. So the race goes on, and I broke. I was out, so I was sitting um, – I was watching the race in the infield, and Dale Jr. had some issues. He had he – had, um, he had had a couple wrecks. Sounds like your day a little bit. Sounds good, but apparently he didn't learn. <laughs> he hopped something and caught on fire, hit the wrecker driver coming back in the pit to get it fixed, got it fixed, and then was laps down, started up front, and passed, drove off from the leader. Mm-hmm. So This is the no fender day. Yeah. And so after the race, uh, Dale ran, I think, I don't know, Dale either, Dale ran second, I think. I think Rusty beat him. And we, so Dale had to do some media, and I'm on the helicopter waiting, and Dale Jr. Uh, is, isn't there yet. And Dale shows up, and I said, where's Dale Jr.? He said, I think he's in an NASCAR trailer. 
he 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 ran over the record driver. He ran <laughs> into the record driver. So Dale Jr. comes back on, finally gets there. Like we wait 10, 15 minutes, you know, and Dale runs second. I broke. Here comes Dale Jr. on the helicopter. He sits down. He's like, Dad, what, son? Did you see me straight away the leader? <laughs> That's all you remember. <laughs> That's the first thing he said <laughs> the whole day. And yeah, right. He said, he said, son, I saw you hit everything inside that racetrack, and you was on fire once, too, and you ran over a record driver. You had to go to NASCAR. What do you mean? He said, yeah, but I straight away the leader. I straight away. <laughs> that was his takeaway. Yeah, that's that was that's what he remembered. That's yeah, what he went with. So that though, those those times were so memorable for me. Just seeing his, you know, spirit come right. out like that. Right. Who else you got over there, CJ? Uh, we had a Twitter question come in from Will Bellamy three hundred and sixty, and he wants to know. For Steve, were you secretly pulling for Matt DiBenedetto to win Saturday night in Bristol because what it would have meant for his career after the news he got earlier in the week? So I, 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 had, to, I had to have a realization with myself as I drove home because so the answer should be yes. Like the answer should be yes, I was cheering for Matt. It would be great. And I realized somewhere driving home in the middle of the night that I'm not a good person because I wasn't. I truly wasn't pulling for him. I'm like, why the – you know, like, I am so, I don't know. I just am so excited with good racing that I forgot the poor guy. You know, I was talking about it, and I was covering him, but I'm like, man, I hope Denny catches him so we can see some good racing. Yes, yes. And then when Denny passed him, I was like, well, that was an awful thing to hope for. Why would you hope for such a thing, right, Matt? That win would have been so much more valuable to Matt. But so that's the truth. The truth is, I don't know. I just always hope for good racing, and I'm, and my good racing might have cost. I wish I could say I controlled the racing because if I did, then I would take right, but I don't. So it was just a bad thought. I felt bad about myself. You know what I was thinking? I was hoping Denny's my friend. I was hoping Matt would win um, because because I was pulling for him, yeah. like like everybody was. So, but then I was thinking to myself, Denny Hamlin, he he's got to win this race. He's gonna try. He's gonna try to win a championship. You gotta have those playoff points. So, like, I didn't. I was never thinking anything other than Denny Hamlin was gonna beat him. Right. I thought Denny was gonna beat him. Thought it'd be cool if Matt would win, but I just knew that. I mean, you can't dangle those playoff points out in front of a guy racing for a championship and even think one time about you know who you're racing against. And as many great stories and finishes, and you've been a part of many of them in NASCAR, it almost excited me again that it wasn't the, the Cinderella story because that makes NASCAR even more real, right? The Cinderella story is Matty D wins. Yes. Man, it's the greatest, greatest story ever. Fact is, a more experienced race car driver and a faster car beat him. And that's not as good a story, right? Yeah. It, it may, it's going to make my Monday show a little bit tougher. But the fact is, the fact that he beat him tells me that what I'm seeing week in and week out is real. It's hard. And it's awesome. And yeah. it's tough. And it made me a bigger NASCAR fan, even though it was maybe at Maddie's expense. How did you think that fender damage with Newman affected the 95? Oh, I think it hurt him for sure. Um, Does he win without that, in your opinion? No. I think <laughs> even before he hit Newman. It was, uh, then he was coming? The, the 11 was coming. And, you know, you've had the ability to call some races from in the booth. It's It looks so much different up there, and you can really take it all in. And, man, Denny was working like a surgeon, like everything. Yeah. Like, you know what I loved about Denny after the race, what he said? He's like, I knew I had the bottom, but I didn't want to show Matt I had the bottom. Mm-hmm. And he just, it was working on top. Mm-hmm. And he said, when I went to the bottom, I had to make sure I maximized. And you damn. went to the bottom once and once only. Yeah, and it was right. game over when it happened. That's right. 
What else you got, CJ? And Ford, you you you, you okay over there? Your cameras? Hey, man, we're doing great. I'm, I'm enjoying the stories back here, so I'm I'm having a great time. Angles good. I mean, I'm just man, still good. My, my job is so to make fun. you look good. And well, that's Steve look good, if that's all you got to do. Okay. You woke up this morning successful. Hey, you yeah, could, that's right. Look at this. I mean, there ain't no way to screw this up. Like that, Mike. I mean, let's go. We, we might need to fix the hat, but other than no. that, we're okay. It's perfect. Oh, I'm just talking about Michigan. They should go for the team, I think. Go but, blue. Uh, I am king of the llamas, is still usernames. Wants to know. It's an interesting what, announcement. What would you? Congratulations, CJ. I know. I am, what, my subjects are very happy. Uh, that makes the llama vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he wants to know, what's the worst part and the best part about working in the TV booth? Ah. And oh. I, I, let, me, the, let me change that. No, you answer it. But I was going to say, what's the hardest part and what's the best yeah, okay. part? Okay, so the worst and the best is, uh, so the worst part happened in my first ever race, to be quite honest. I go to Daytona, um, 2015, July race. Me, Rick Allen, Jeff Burton, man, we're, at, we're excited. We're ready. We've practiced. Well, the bosses have listened to our practice. They said, man, you guys are ready. Drop the green. We see a great race. And the worst part is as they were climbing to the line, Austin Leyland goes up into the catch fence. Oh, yeah. And... Um, I'm thankful no one was hurt, and I'm thankful that happened in my first race because it was a reminder at that moment that I'm on damn TV. Like What I say, everybody hears. And Rick Allen was a pro, right? If you would have saw – Jeff Burton and I actually took a step back. Like, we, it was so clear we weren't going to speak. We didn't know how to handle like, this. Like, Rick was on an island, yeah. and, and Rick was, was great. But that is, without a doubt, the worst part about being in TV is when something like that happens um, – they're my friends, they're my coworkers, they're my fellow racers, and my job is to cover it, and it, that is hard. Um, the easiest part is very simple. I watch every race. If, if Mikey's covering it, then I'm sitting somewhere probably having a beer listening to Mikey. So my job is to basically do what I was going to do anyway, except <laughs> for explaining it to my wife and son and whoever else will listen. They give me a mic to talk to the TV audience. I'm not sure that's... Um, the popular answer, but that's the truth. Yeah. It's something I'm going to talk about anyway. Phil always says it's like paid vacation. Cause it's paid vacation. We, we would be going to the races because we, we love it so much. Yeah, yeah. So it's here. So the easiest and the hardest, wasn't that what you, you uh-huh. were going to change it to? Yeah. Um, so the easiest part is covering good racing. When there's a battle, it's it's like... Saturday night. Yeah. I mean, Bristol yeah, is... We've been what? blessed with racing all year long. It's been so great. And the hardest part is probably... Well, for me, actually, the hardest races are the speedway races. That's why I cover them from the pit box now. Nobody wants to hear from a damn crew chief. They're three wide, nine deep. Yeah. Like just the hardest part is for me to just remember to keep my mouth shut. And you know we've talked about this before. The 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 comment you don't want to make, but you you when you don't don't do this when you're just getting started, you do make it. They have to pit. They have to pit. Oh yeah. And then they all stay out. Yeah yeah yeah. They're like then you've learned and you you told me what you've learned. If I were them, that's right. That qualify. If I were them, I'd do this. And we're getting ready to see what they're going to do. But this is what I would do. But yeah. So, so just imagine this, though. You're up there. Now, while you are a two-time Daytona 500 winner, you can't really imagine this because you can voice your opinion. But when you're at a speedway race and you want to throw your opinion in how, how they're driving and then Dale Jr. standing next to you disagrees, you basically say, I'm going to go down the pit box if yeah. you're looking for me. Nobody really cares, nor should they, what I think about this situation. Well, talk about let's, – let's continue on the Dale Jr. road because um, you were his crew chief and you had success – I remember I came to the to Victory Lane in Daytona and got my picture with y'all when you won the Daytona 500. Um, 
the, the the relationship we talked about earlier growing and, and the success you had and, and the fact that you won and it didn't fill your bucket up, uh, that led you to the, the decision to go to the, to the TV booth. What was it like when your buddy Dale Jr. showed up to, to join you? Oh, so Dale and I, you know, it wasn't this long, drawn-out plan that some basically think. Once he decided he was going to retire, I think he was trying to figure out what he was going to do next. So we had a couple dinners, and we talked about it. And I remember I came home, and my wife, Trisha, asked me, what? she goes, man, you think he's going to go on TV? I said, man, I think he might. She goes, you think he's going to come work with you? I was like, damn, I think we might. And my wife almost looked um, – she had that look on her face like, man, you lucky SOB. Like, you, you and your buddy are going to hang out again. And that's really what it's been like. Um, you know, him and I go up there in the booth, and, and whether we're in the same booth or different booths or whatever, um, man, it's just been easy. Yeah. You know, we're buddies. We're watching racing. It's been great working with Rick and Burton. And uh, the Dale joining the team has been a great addition, and he sees things differently than the rest of us it's been it's been it's been so much fun man it's been a blast and it's it's fun to listen to and i appreciate um i appreciate y'all's friendship because you can tell your buddies and that's what people people want to watch in my opinion and and that's why i have so much fun with with vince and phil and anytime i get to do a race it's just i don't have a crossroad I don't have a cross word with anyone. You know, we're just we're just having fun watching races. We're, we're covering sports. This ain't brain surgery. This isn't the news. People yeah. don't turn on the race to get unhappy, right? If they want to get unhappy. They can read the newspaper or argue with their neighbor. Or like like, you can be mad because your driver's not doing good. You can be mad at you and I because well, you can. Fi- it doesn't hurt my feelings. Like, I don't think Steve knows what he's talking. That's right. fine, right? I. They luckily for me, they give me the mic, so yeah. I get to continue to give my opinion. But like that's all fine. But in the end, man, be entertained at sports. It's not brain surgery. Yeah, and you know what? Entertaining. I like to be. I have two rules. Uh, my mantra is: I go to the TV booth, be entertaining, and be informative. If you do those two things, and you know what you're talking about, I don't care what somebody writes on Twitter. I pretty much yep. I know what I'm. I know I'm right. You know. I, I added a third one in there though. Oh, good. Which is just be honest. Yeah. So. I just um, had this conversation with Duggar. I had him on my podcast, and I said, what's the toughest part about being a country music guy? And he goes, man, you're telling stories, so you got to be honest or they'll, they'll smell you out. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's taken me a while. Like the first couple of years, I would see something happen on track, and I'd not want to upset some people, so I'd kind of give the sugar-coated version, and it would still piss half the people off. And now I'm defending like half an opinion. So now, man, I'm just chin-high fastballs. If yeah. I think that – so-and-so wrecked somebody, or I think so-and-so made a bad pick call. I'm not disrespectful, but I give my opinion. Make right. sure everybody knows it's only my opinion. You right. can disagree, right? There's no yeah. fact to this. And let it play out. I, I used to have an issue with arguing with NASCAR because I didn't know I didn't know their side of the story. Mm-hmm. you know. But my opinion was based – it was an educated guess, basically, from what I saw. And a lot of times people would think that you know I, I would defend NASCAR. And I think at times I, I have because – I don't know all the factors, but I think it's important for us also to understand that whether if they screw up, they got to be called out too. And Absolutely, we've got to make those. We got to make sure everybody knows the lanes, the swim lanes, and who's in which one and why something went down. Why the fans don't pay me? Why I'm paid by a network? I, I've always thought I, I work for the fans and the fans first. And unfortunately, for either a competitor or a fellow crew chief or NASCAR or whomever it is. It's it's as you said, inform the fans. Some people unfortunately don't like what I have to inform them right. about, but that's how it works. And uh, your relationship with with Dale certainly, um, we were all scared to death with what took place this past Thursday up in Bristol. And I was on Fox and Friends uh, yesterday morning talking about our upcoming documentary, and they asked me about it, and I said, 
you know, I know physically they're okay. Mentally, it's yeah. got to be like that's that's what scares me is 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 how they're how how are they doing and and what's what's it been like for Dale? Well, so luckily I was up in Bristol on Thursday afternoon um, when I got the call, so I got to go to the hospital to see him, Amy, and Isla. Um, which I love to tell you I went there to help them because that's what I think I went there to do, but. It almost was good. Like, I had to just see. Like, I needed to say, like, all right, here he is. Like, I hear he's fine, but here he is. Okay, there he, like, hey, man, you know, all right, you know. And and same thing. I saw Amy and gave her a hug, and I'm like, man, I this is, this is uh, selfishly, this has been good for me, right? Like, this has yes. calmed whatever I had going on yeah. in my brain and my heart. And I haven't, you know, it's still so fresh. I don't think I'm smart enough or can detach myself emotionally enough to have a good articulate opinion of the whole situation. Um, I have no idea how we're all so lucky that it turned out the way it did. And I agree with you. I think, um, you know, it's easy to x-ray something broken and say, oh, man, your hand, your arm, your foot, you know, this is broken. This is the, this is how you repair it. And, and thank God we're not discussing any of those things. But in the end, it had to be scary. I have kind of avoided the videos and the pictures and everything. I'm not ready for all that yet. And I had nothing to do with it. Uh-huh. Right? Like I wasn't on this plane. Like who am I to have this opinion? So I can't even imagine what it was like for um, for the, all the occupants, the pilots included. And um, man, I'm just uh, like I said, I don't I don't know what the the next day, week, month, year look like for any of us. I don't think any of us are guaranteed. But I'm excited to uh, whenever he's going to come up and join me up in that booth again. We start calling some races. I'm sure that'll start to feel a little bit more normal. Yeah, I just I feel like we don't understand, and so just give them space and let them let them figure this thing out. I mean, it, I don't even I'm like I can't talk very good about it because it's emotional for me. Yeah, and it's also it's also so real and so crazy that you know that that's what that it went down like that, and just so thankful that they the family the whole family got out. It uh, was just a good reminder. You and I live a lot the same way, which is I try not to have bad days. I'm blessed to have great friends and a great family. And that's kind of what I go back to, right, is, is, you know, how do you learn something from a situation like that? And people want to talk about the nuts and the bolts and, well, you know, aviation. And, like, look, we've both chosen this profession. It travels the country. They're all a bunch of necessary requirements to make it all work. I look at it the opposite. I look at it as just a, a, a instant reminder um, that you know we're not guaranteed kind of anything, Mm-mm. and we all need to go out and have a good time and 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 have work and you know do all the things that make us human, um, and that's kind of what we do. Listen, I've read your book, right? I think that that I have friends like you, whether we like it or not. We have, and everyone in the world has this. I think perhaps our situations are just a little more publicly known, but. You know, it happens to everybody, right? Whether it was, um, you know, the Daytona 500 and Dale Sr. for you, or or I was unfortunately, you know, I was around for the plane crash Mm -hmm. uh, back in 04. Like, life is complicated and it's not guaranteed, and there are a lot of things that kind of mold us and shape us. Um, And they're not all positives, but that doesn't mean they're not real. Uh, And that's kind of what I just try to do, man, one foot forward and move on to the next thing. Yeah, I think all those tragedies, uh, the the challenges, the wins, the losses – um, when I was younger, I, I think I was full of myself and I don't, I don't like thinking about that. Yeah. You know, I want to be humble. I want to be appreciative and I want to be thankful. And that's the way I live my life today. And it was because of loss yeah. and, and it was because of, 
of moments in time that you, you look around and say, well, I'm, I'm pretty lucky to be doing what I love to do, and I'm blessed to be here. could be a lot different, especially some of the darn crashes that I had. Good Lord. And, and <laughs> friends that I... Friends that I had that, that didn't make it, and um, you, you talked about the book, and we we wrote we wrote the book, and that was I think that was therapeutic for me because I didn't really ever talk about it, um, and so I think that was healthy. And then we did the documentary, which I, I think people are going to love. Uh, I uh, I know it's I know it's when I wrote the book, I handed it to my publisher, and I said I don't care if anybody buys it or not. Right, it's exactly what I want. And yep. and the documentary is the same way, so that that makes well, me. I missed the the preview of the documentary. I was out of town, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to come out, and we're going to watch it in Burkdale on September 12th. So love it. I want you to put that in your calendar, and and um, and you know the interesting thing about crazy thing about life. Uh, you know, Dale Jr. and I were were together that day in 2001, and Dale was with us, and we worked, and we won the race, and then. The tragedy uh, happened on the last lap, and what is it? Eighteen years later, and I wrote the book, and we're, we made the documentary. And I don't think one time—this is how men work, I guess. I don't think one time I've talked to Dell Jr. about right. that day, yeah. or and I went on his podcast. Oh, it was outstanding. I listened to it. It was, it was in which I laughed because I felt, I feel like I'm like. Well, Dang, I know Mikey. Man, I know him well. I play golf with him all the time. We hang out. I know Dale Jr. pretty well. And I had never heard either of you talk about it. No. So so that's why I think this forum, this podcast forum, um, man, it's just, you know, first it was social media, right? And then you have, oh, look, at my, 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 my favorite whatever, baseball player, race car driver, he could just tweet me. Mm-hmm. 140 characters, that's my guy tapping into his phone. That's awesome. And then this podcast forum allows... Stories to be told, and they should be told and should be documented. Uh, you do TV, right? You do an hour of TV. You do it what, like thirty seconds at a time? Yeah. Right? Like you, there's not a lot of long stories plus, being plus done. Plus, you, you say, "How's your car?" Yeah, right. You know, right. you don't say what was. Yeah, what were your, you thinking? What were you thinking in 2004 yeah. when when tragedy struck, and how'd you deal with it? And and the fun part for me is the the list of guests we've had. We've had. Matt Benedetto sat there um, in February after he led the most laps in the Daytona 500 and mm-hmm. got crashed and think t- talking about his opportunity, and 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 I didn't know the background coming from California. Yeah. Same thing with John Hunter Nemechek. Same thing with Cole Custer. Everybody's got a story, and it's a chance to know who they are. And I just Which I might say you do a very well, Matt DiBenedetto. So I, I, he's Matty D on TV. I, when I get all wound up, I just don't even try to tackle the last name. Me either. I, I don't. And, and listen, there's some audio of my coworkers attempting. Oh yeah, it's outstanding. <laughs> well, if if you did, if you know what just happened in my mind, I was talking right along, and as I'm talking about you what I'm going to tell you, you I know that that word that's coming mm, up coming. soon, it's and I, I just go. Matt Benedetto. You got to just get it out there. You don't just roll it in there; yeah. it won't come out you right. Go back and watch Bristol. And see how many times I give the old, you know, Matty D. There you go. I just, I, I just know my faults. I got, I got to shorten it up. You got another question over there? Oh yeah, absolutely. So we've got a great Reddit "What If" question from Lorenzo, and they would like to know, Steve, if you could crew chief during any decade of NASCAR competition, which one would it be? And who would you want your driver to be? Now, you see, I want to answer. I want to hear your answer because I would. I would have. Yeah, I'd love to see what it's like to crew chief for Kale Yarborough or, or or Richard Petty or David Pearson. 
Like those, those, those were my heroes when I was a kid. So I have two answers to the question, and the first one is I would love to have Richard Petty probably in the '60s because I, for long term, long time was a spokesman for STP and got to spend so much time with Inman and the King, and I'm like, you know, this is an era that I wasn't even alive in, and I would love <laughs> to see what it was like. Um, but the truth is, the one I've answered consistently is I'll go back to the same era. Heads up, I talked about 2007. I'd like to take my knowledge now mm-hmm. and go back and crew chief for Jimmy just because he beat all of our brains in for so long. He was so good. Um, and I know Chad's good, but it's like you want to get measured up against the best. So I would take Jimmy Johnson in the middle of his heyday and see if I could somehow pull it off. I like um, a memory I have. It was the all-star race. I think it was 04. And we went down into turn one on a restart. And I think I started third. And Jimmy was sideways off turn two, and I drove up right on his bumper. We go down turn three, same thing. He's His back end's hanging out. I said, I got him. I'm going to win this race. We go down into turn one and two. It did it again, but a little less. And then the next time, we went in three and four. He was smaller. And then about three <laughs> laps later, he was gone. Yep. And just, just the ability. I like to tell people his windshield was way bigger than most. And meaning, what I mean by that is if the car was out here somewhere, he's going to drive it. Yep. Whereas a lot of us, our windshield was only so big. Right. And having that, having those memories of his ability and just seeing what he did was special. No doubt. Tell me, tell me what you do. I didn't know if I was getting another question from yeah. the peanut gallery over here. No, the I peanut... still haven't heard nothing from Ford over there. He no, keeps he, brushing his hair. He just uh, runs a camera. Yeah, I'm just I'm brushing my hair, make sure I look good. I wish it was as good as Steve's over here. Oh, you do? I'm, I'm working on it. Hey, I'm still young. I got to tell y'all, I miss the mixture. I, I went to the Just for Men, and I didn't have my glasses with me, and um, I, I usually get the light brown. Yeah. And evidently, I brought the dark, bought the dark brown or black because I took a shower and washed my hair and yeah. with that all stuff. And I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> who's that guy? You, know, you got a little Johnny Cash going for sure. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt. Uh, somebody sent me a picture and said I look like Don Ho. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, uh, tell me away from. We've talked NASCAR. Uh, tell me away from the track. I know you enjoy the uh, i racing. Uh, yeah. How, how yeah. did that come about, and what is your participation well, level? So Dale Junior's got me involved in all this stuff. So years ago, he's a big i racer. He said, "Hey, on the way to New Hampshire, we're gonna stop by and see our buddies up at i racing. We stop in. And they show me how it all works and sim racing, and I voice some stuff over for him. And they've been great uh, friends ever since. I have a simulator at my house where I race. My son races. Um, so they've had this league for like ten years, but. They draft for the first time ever this year. They have teams owners, so uh, Junior has a team. What's that, an owner do? So you basically own two cars and you try to give as much tool, as many tools as you can to your drivers. Whether it's um, everything from social media training mm-hmm. to uh, you know how do you approach a race, whether you go test and these things because they run for hours in these simulators. Um, and just promote the league. You know the owners are mostly people that have good social media following, like. Junior Motorsports has one. Uh, Kyle Long from the Bears has a team. Um, you know, all these big companies and big people. Uh, so the second wave of draft, they let me have two teams. So Latart Esports has two guys that drive in the series. And the series is cool because it's the top 40 stock car iRacers in the world out of about 90,000. Wow. And every year, the champion, he gets paid like 100 grand. It's a big deal. The top 20 stay, but the bottom 40, they get kicked out. They get regulated back down a series. So it's and then they like have to work their does. way back up. Yeah, like soccer does over in Europe. So the iRacing thing is growing. Uh, they have a race like every other week. Um, so, listen, I have to ask my son how this all works, but it's on Twitch, I know. Yes. 
Um, and if I don't get the Twitch link, I'm not very good at finding now, it. Your so. drivers are Chris Sherburn and Nathan Lyon. Yep. So do I you, went with the one old guy and one young guy. Do you tweet them or do you text them? Or I how? text them a lot. So Chris Sherburn is almost our age. He's been a sim racer since the pilot stage. I kind of looped it. Did you say I averaged it all? There's out? only 20 years there well, you're missing you know, out, but thank so, you. So he's an older guy. He's been doing it a long time. You do uh, play golf with guys that are twice your age. I know. Though. I know. I know. You think I'd hit it farther than them, but. That's like when I first, when I was playing golf and I started playing with them, my brother said, how are you golfing? I said, good. Playing a lot better. He said, what's new? I said, I'm just hitting it further. He said, what are you doing different? I said, I'm playing with these old guys. Yeah, playing with these old guys. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, yeah, I got a couple drivers in there, and, and uh, uh, Nathan and Chris, and they're just, just fun. Like, I go on there, and the first time I won't lie, I was like, oh, all right, I'm going to go on and watch one of these races. I mean, it's guys driving sim, you know? Yeah. Man, I went to the link, and next thing I know, two hours had passed, and I watched the whole race. It is so fascinating. They asked me one night to do the commentary. Yeah, oh, so yeah. So I sat there with a the headset and talked about what I saw. It was really cool. A lot of racers we know were in the race. Yeah, and, and this is my thing about esports um, and that sim racing that I think is great. Is I'm a big race fan. You're a big race fan. But you race because your family was racing, and I race because my dad raced. But there are thousands and millions of kids all over the country that they have to learn the rules of basketball and baseball to pass gym, but they don't have to learn anything about racing. And I think this is the avenue to allow more kids. And I'm, I'm not even saying they have to like it, but I just want go check it out. Yeah. If you don't like it, great. Go right. love baseball. But like this, how else do you show some kids racing? Well, let me ask you this: Your son is a very accomplished young racer. He's he's been uh, right up front racing for wins um, on the dirt, and he does the the i racing. T- tell me about that. Do yeah. you, is he? Do you say well? He's he's really good at i racing and and he's really good at natural racing. Do they have to? Do they necessarily cross over? How's that work? I think they cross over to a point. What I've learned about both of them is they're as good as you want to commit to them. Like when you, we don't run on the dirt very often and we're off playing football and being a kid, which I support. We go back and he's frustrated because he runs fourth or fifth. I'm like, oh yeah, because the other kids have been out here. And those kids are adults. He runs in the in the big class. Yeah. And the same thing with i racing. If he's not on the sim, you know, it's not something you just pick back up and you're as good as the guys that are there every I week. I see. So it really teaches him pr- preparation, commitment, consistency. Um, it's fun. My son has had a. Uh, been a, it's been fun, but it's, he's had a few challenges this year. Speed 51 is a big race in the spring, and uh, he qualified great. He was like six out of like 80 carts. I'm like, oh, man, it's going to be great. And How good does that feel, though? Oh, it was great, man. Here's where I went down. You draw off your heats, and he got lined up in his heat, and I went and looked. I said, a pole sitter, my son's outside front row. Oh, yeah, we got him beat second row. And I was like, huh, Logan Seavey, pretty big name. Sprinkler. Oh, Kyle Larson. I was right behind him. And I went back a row, and I was like, that <laughs> name and that name, they both ran in the top five of the Chili Bowl. Or top ten of the chili bowls, oh. and they take two from the heat. I went back over to my son, and I was like, "Hey, Ty, get you a really good start, and just you know, do your best, enjoy the race, you know." Because I'm like, "There ain't no damn this kid." And this was like six days after Kyle Larson won a million bucks at the All Star race. Yeah. So uh, that's the fun of racing is that you know you can where else can you go race against some of the world's best and. He got to do it. It was just like you imagine. We ran behind all the professionals, which yeah. he probably should. Well, didn't we have – wasn't it Tyler Reddick we had on, and he sent me a picture of his go-kart hanging from a tree? Like, he, I mean, he literally left that place. Does, does It can happen. Dad, Dad, what do you think – what is mom – how's mom and dad process the, the – the, so I've been good with all the wrecks, but there was one last year where uh, he caught a wheel and went up, and the last maybe 18 inches of the catch fence kept him in. Mm. And that's the first time in all the racing he's done that I was like, I wasn't like mad that he was wrecking, 
Right? This is the first time as he was wrecking, I was like, I hope he's okay. Man, I hope when I get over broken, I'm okay if he had a broken arm or a leg, right? Like, I, <laughs> when I want to go over there, I want an awake son looking at me like it was a scary one. Um, and, and he was fine, luckily. But uh, you have those moments for sure. But now, listen, now he's 15. He realized that girls are as cool or cooler than race cars. Uh-huh. And he plays football at a high school in South Charlotte now. So, are you, are we losing him? So, I, I think we might be. I think, I, you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. He's gone from the aspirations of being a race car driver to enjoying racing. That's two very different things, which I'm good with. I love, listen, he's 15. I want him to be a 15 year old boy, whatever that is. Love it. Well, family's a huge part of NASCAR, and, and obviously we're both examples of that. Yeah. And uh, it's really cool that he got a taste of it. Yeah, no, it was good. He, you know, Even if I like seeing him with the checker flag too, that's no, pretty that's darn great, cool. But this is—I tell this story. This is there's two reasons why we race. The first is I have a picture in my office of my son and my father. Their backs are to the camera and they're looking at the dirt track, and that's in my office because the reason I'm here talking to you today is because my dad was a racer and taught me how to race. And my dad goes to the football games and goes to the soccer games because he's a good granddad. But he's like. Eh. Football, yeah, go Tyler. You know, like nothing else, right? Well, you go to the racetrack and he's in it. Yeah. Um, so that family aspect is a big part. And the other big part is we went out one day, and you're going to like this. We go out and it's rainy and it's muddy and the track's kind of rolled in, but it's bumpy. We go drop the, this is back, we were one class below and we were winning. And we dropped the green in the heat. My man goes to the back and he comes in, he runs like seventh in the heat. I'm like, man, what's wrong? And he, oh, he's flipping out. I can't see, I can't that, the track this and the track that. And I let him walk off. And he comes back about a half hour later, and I'm like, all right, well, you're starting 14th in the main. You got 20 laps. He started talking about the track again, and I finally was like, all right, you've been around Dale Jr., Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson. Have you ever heard him talk about the track? It's like, no. That's okay. Because it's the same for everybody. So my advice, I put 20 tear-offs on instead of the normal two. and Or excuse, instead of the normal 10, I said, you got one a lap, not one a corner, one a lap. Start finish line, pull a tear-off, do it again. And I said, if you can't see, it's just a hobby. Pull to the infield, no big deal. I said, but if you're going to do it, go do it. So we went out, man, and he ripped the cushion and drove up there and ended up like third or whatever. And, and the point of the whole story to him and the reason we were out there is because that's kind of life, right? Like you can complain and this, that, and the other. But he, and, and the beauty about racing is when he gets strapped in, there's no spot or there's no nothing. Yeah. Like it's a 15-year-old kid on a track figuring it out on his own. So I think, you know, racing teaches him a lot about life. So it was, it was good. It's been fun so far. I love it. His car owner, though, man, she's tough. <laughs> what was it like when she cashed that first $20 check or whatever y'all went over there? This is really what happened. We went out, and, and I was just doing it as a hobby. I didn't want to ruin it. You know, we go out there. And I'm I'm very, very budgetary racer. And we're running, like, fifth. And my wife comes over, and her exact quote was, and I'm going to clean it up because she's a lady. Well, that's not exact. She said, you can act like you don't know blank about football or soccer or all that stuff he did growing up but i know you know blank about this so why don't you go get your blank together and fix it and i thought to myself oh boy uh, i don't want to have this conversation again so i got another job so the budgetary <laughs> so i went and got a brand new motor and did everything that i said i wasn't going to do and we unload the next week and i think to myself just be average just be average and he runs the top literally chirping the right rear off the boards comes back around fast time and i was like oh I'll never live this down because now you've wasted all this time till oh, now. Yeah. When now, you got... now, now I thought you know now it's time she should say oh thanks. When she comes, she goes, why wasn't it like this last time? Exactly. Like, oh man, I was yeah. in trouble still. But well, at least you got your faster. blank. At least you got your blank together. I got my blank together. I got oh. my blank together. So it's been good though. Um, one last question. 
I, I really want to know your opinion on. And you know my frustration with the P word. I don't like hearing anything about anyone's package. Like, we race cars. We don't race packages. Yeah. Um, and you know what? And since the beginning of time, Steve, there's been packages. I, but I yet, for some reason. I don't want to believe that. For some reason, how can you how how can you address that? How can you just tell people, look, there's a driver in there, and they got an engine and some spoilers and shit, and they're gonna race each other and just get over it. Yeah, I mean, so so this is where I'm very lucky to work for NBC because we get the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. See, so so you guys at Fox get the Daytona 500, which irritates me. Because I really want to call a Daytona 500, as you can imagine. Yeah. But I get the playoffs. I got, I'm holding them. <laughs> you can't have them. I got them, and they're awesome. And there's nothing better than going to Phoenix. I know. I just I love going to Phoenix with playoff time. It's just, right. So it's great. So the advantage we have is by the time it gets to us, you guys have kind of had to do all of this. Yeah. So I, I know this sounds silly, but we just don't talk about it. Uh, good. And, and here's why. I remember clear as day in 1997, Jeff Gordon dominated. And we went to Atlanta. And they were going to go to five and five, five inch valences and five inch spoilers. And in that moment, we might as well light this place on fire. This ain't going to work. How are we even going to have a red? Like that day, this was the biggest thing to ever happen. And the same guy won that race. Yes. As won it the week before with a big spoiler and the low valence. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I don't talk about the rules. We don't race rules. We race. And, and to your point, the cars, because that's why I've related back to the people. And the drivers and what they do behind the wheel. Yeah. And and the racing has been great this year. Oh, and, my goodness. I mean, uh, what else could you ask for? It, it, and, and, you know, it wasn't just the race. So, so Bristol Night Race, I didn't know this, but, but this week proved it to me. I always thought Bristol was awesome because it was Bristol. What I learned is Bristol is awesome because of the fans that go to Bristol. Mm-hmm. And it's Bristol. And it, and, and the, the, the electricity. Yeah. So the vibe. And the reason I said it's like, like we all know the, the fans have been, we wish more were coming and they really weren't. And it was kind of what was going to happen, what was going to happen. Well, I'm telling you, Mikey, you would have shocked you. At 4 o'clock on Saturday, you couldn't golf cart around the place. Packed. People were flowing in. Coolers were empty. Fans were rowdy. It was great. You know, not a sellout. I'm not here to blow smoke and make stuff up. No, no, no. But it was, I don't know, 65, 70% full. And it reminded me, when they dropped the green, I got the chills again. I said, oh, yeah, this place is coming back. And and then, fortunately, what I what frustrates me is bad weather. The fans I have know. to worry about that crap. So the weather was perfect. The racing was great. And I think uh, you guys did a nice job uh, delivering the race to the fans at home. I saw your ratings were good. So, um the demise of NASCAR have been exaggerated because I think we're on a good, good, uh, good plane, and I think the reason why we're on a good plane is because the product on the track is 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 awesome. It's the best. People say I haven't seen racing like this in a long time. Well, you ain't never seen it like this. No, you it, haven't. It's That's true. it's never been this good. It's never been this good, and I'm a big believer that I'm not smart enough to tell you why people stopped coming or stopped watching. So I'm not going to take credit or think I know why they started coming back or started watching again. Um, but it all starts and ends with with what happens at the racetrack. Yep. You know, like we could promote it. I don't turn on any sporting event for the commentator. I know we're both commentators. I shouldn't say that, but like I, I turn it on because it's a game I want to see or an event I'm ready to watch. And and NASCAR is the event people need to watch. And yeah. if they are, it could be you, me, it was your brother forever. Like whatever, we're gonna talk about it. That's right. And Great. I love it. I love it. 
Well, I've enjoyed you being here. Man, I appreciate it. I mean, you got a fancy studio with pictures and helmets. and We, we golf a lot, but I don't they think They won't we... even give me a spot for mine. I have to go on the road for mine. Well, I, just, I like my plush studios. We, we golf a lot, but I don't think we've ever gotten this deep. We've never worked. I don't think we've ever had a professional... Setting? Never. Yeah. Were you worried when I brought up the P word? I didn't know where you were going with it. It could have been PJ1. I don't call that that. I call it traction compound. Oh, okay. I call it the sticky stuff. That's better. I yeah. mean, that's good. Yeah. That's better than PHG or VT1 or whatever the hell everybody know. calls I, it. I, I can't handle it all. It's too much for me. <laughs> too much. It's too much. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, Mikey. Appreciate yes, you, Wow, that was fun. I knew talking to Steve Letarte would produce some great stories. Really fun hearing about his relationship with Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, Jeff Gordon being on the pit box for that NASCAR Hall of Famer. So thank you so much, Steve, for your visit to us and uh, looking forward to next week. We're going to have an intense show. I have a documentary, Blink of an Eye, that's coming out on September 12th. It's going to premiere in 800 theaters across America. So be sure to check out blinkofaneyefilm.com. You can buy your tickets. And our guest next week is Buffy Hawthorne. Buffy, you're thinking. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. My ex-wife, she was a big part of everything that went on in my life back then. And the documentary features her. And I want to get her to share some stories with you. So be sure to join us next week. It's going to be a lot of interesting, deep, uh, emotional time that we're going to discuss. And I think you'll enjoy it. Till then. Appreciate and don't forget, tell your friends to add us via their favorite podcast app and watch our content on Fox Sports YouTube channel. See you later. Mm-hmm.